0: Welcome to the Postcard Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Michatel, and if you are the type of traveler who loves insider advice on where the locals are hanging out, then you are in the right place. Since it's almost Halloween, I thought it would be fun to talk about one of America's most haunted places, a southern city filled with vampires and ghosts, at least in books and in films and on TV. Today we are going to New Orleans, which is celebrating its 300th anniversary. I'm speaking with Hope Codman, a guide for French Quarter Phantoms, which takes people on tours such as Saints and Sinners, True Crime, a cemetery, and of course the Ghost and Vampire Tour, among others. Hope and I talk about the history of this laid back city, including Mardi Gras, the biggest party of the year. You'll also learn the difference between Cajun and Creole where to find the best drinks, the best burlesque show, the best jazz, the best female-owned romantic boutique, which is Hopes, by the way. We discuss the French Quarter and the other neighborhoods you need to check out, quirky museums, what voodoo is really all about, we'll tell some ghost stories, you are in for a treat. I accidentally say New Orleans a few times instead of New Orleans, so hopefully that is not too traumatic for the people who live there, I do apologize. You can find photos and links to everything we discuss on postcardacademy.co. And if you like this episode, I would love it if you subscribe to the show so I can continue sharing great stories and travel recommendations with you. And speaking of great stories, this episode is brought to you by Audible. Not a member yet? As a Postcard Academy listener, you can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial if you sign up using the link audibletrial.com postcard. And if you decide to join Audible, members now get two free Audible originals every month. And so these are stories covering theater and literature and journalism. I just downloaded one on Aretha Franklin, so I'm really looking forward to checking that out. Again, you can sign up for the free trial at audibletrial.com postcard. Now into my conversation with Hope. Welcome, Hope. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I am dying to go to Romania and I saw that you went to Transylvania University, <laughs> but that's actually not in the Transylvania. Can you tell us yep. where that is?
1: So uh, Transylvania University is in Lexington, Kentucky, um, and it's, it's called Transylvania because that's Latin for through the woods or through the forest. Um, so it was not named for any uh, Dracula related reason. Um, the school is actually from the 1700s before Dracula was even written. Uh, but it's really fun to say that I went to Transylvania university (laughs) now and being a little bit of a creep at heart, maybe a lot of bit of a creep at heart. Uh, it makes me really happy. So, and it was a great school. It's a great experience.
0: What did you study there?
1: I did a double major in anthropology and drama. Uh, so I'm a tour guide now. That is a great way to put those skills to use. So did you grow up in Kentucky? I did for the most part. Um, I was born in Tennessee, um, grew up in Kentucky, Uh, And then after college, moved to New Orleans. Why did you move there? What about New Orleans attracted you? I had always been really interested in New Orleans. I have cousins in sort of the the towns outside of New Orleans. And then uh, one of my aunts lived in New Orleans through most of the 90s. So I traveled there before. I'd always heard stories about it. And I love the history. I love the culture. I love costumes a lot. Um, I love the idea of dressing up and being a character. Uh, So it was just a really good fit. I graduated um, from Transylvania pretty much right into the recession. And there were not a lot of jobs in Kentucky. So I figured I would move somewhere that seemed interesting that I'd always wanted to be and see how it worked out. And now I've been here for nine years.
0: Very cool. I can't wait to dive into the history. I've been to New Orleans. I guess I say (gasps) New Orleans sometimes, but I've been to New Orleans (laughs) a few times, but it's been so long. So, oh, I'm so excited. You should come back. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, For people who don't know about New Orleans, could you give us sort of like a visual snapshot? Where is it geographically and what would the postcard look like?
1: Sure. Uh, so New Orleans is in southeast Louisiana. It was originally essentially a portage uh, between the Mississippi River and Lake Pontchartrain. Um, so it is it is down at the bottom and it's, it's nicknamed the Crescent City because the Mississippi River curves into this uh, cool crescent shape uh, right where New Orleans is located. Um, If you were to go to New Orleans, I have no sense of direction, but driving is really easy for me there because it's more or less laid out on a grid, especially the French Quarter. I find very easy to navigate, and we don't use north, south, east, and west. We use uptown, downtown, or upriver, downriver, and then uh, lake and riverside. So north, south, east, and west mean nothing. When you come to visit us, they will give you directions by the location of the river, essentially, or the lake. Visually, when
0: people think of New Orleans, what are, the, what are the images that pop into people's minds?
1: my goodness. I mean, a lot of it does come from, from movies and, and TV shows, but oh uh, goodness, I, I think people think of uh, drippy swamps and they think of wrought iron and they think of uh, voodoo, certainly. Um, they think of brass bands. They think of Mardi Gras and Mardi Gras beads and Mardi Gras costumes. I think they, they think of us, and, and this is true. It was a really vibrant and diverse and exciting city. New Orleans is probably most famous for Mardi
0: Gras. Can you explain what this is exactly? I think, you know, we know of like this drunk parade where mm-hmm. people throw beads at each other, but... There's so much more to that. So can you talk a little (laughs) bit more about maybe some of the traditions that are part of it? Sure.
1: Mardi Gras is technically part of the Catholic calendar, although the celebrations during that time of year and in sort of the style of what we think of Mardi Gras now uh, would go back even farther to pagan Europe. Um, So much like other pagan European traditions, um, it essentially gets a Christian or Catholic veneer. Um, but if you were to think of the Catholic calendar and, uh, New Orleans is still a majority Catholic city, uh, because our French and our Spanish background, uh, Mardi Gras is essentially the last day to revel, to party, to get all your weirdness out before you must be spiritually right with God for 40 days. Uh, so it's the last day before Lent. Um, if you've heard of Ash Wednesday, the first day of Lent. Mardi Gras is Fat Tuesday. So it's the day right before, it's the day to eat and drink and be merry. And then according to the Catholic calendar, we must be very serious until Easter. Um, And so it would have been celebrated, you know, throughout the middle ages, into the 1700s. Um, They had a Mardi Gras sort of, you know, small mass and feast, actually, uh, some of the very first colonists when they arrived in Louisiana. Uh, There's a location called Mardi Gras Point, uh, where they would have uh, landed on Mardi Gras day. It really becomes a, a massive sort of citywide celebration starting to be in the way that we think about it now. In the mid-1800s, you would have uh, groups of people form what they call crews, K-R-E-W-E. And a crew is essentially like a club. Um, In some ways, you could liken them to uh, social aid clubs, you could even kind of liken them to secret societies like the Shriners or um, the Fellows, but more with a focus on revelry, uh, with partying, with throwing parades. Um, So starting in the 1800s, these crews would um, hold parades, hold balls, they would costume, they would mask, and they would throw trinkets and beads and money off of the floats. And those are essentially the precursors to the plastic beads, the plastic money, the stuffed animals, the light-up blinky toys that are thrown from the floats today. So we start to see a more modern Mardi Gras emerge, like I said, in the 1800s, and it really develops from there.
0: So if we are a tourist or a visitor, uh, do we have any chance of participating in one of these
1: crews or is this very much a local thing? It's pretty local. Now, it depends on what crew you want to join. The, what they call the super crews, you know, the the big massive crews like, oh gosh, uh, Rex or Bacchus uh, or Zulu or Muses you'd probably need to have been in town for a while to, to join one of those crews. Certainly it's unlikely that if you're just visiting for a weekend that you would get to ride in that parade, pretty much impossible. Right. Um, if you're new to town, but you live here, um, I actually, one of the ways that I met so many of my friends, uh, man, he's not my husband, um, was through joining a Mardi Gras crew, but ours was a smaller walking crew. Uh, so we're a crew that gets hired to march in other people's parades, essentially. Uh, and so that's a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's a great way to meet people, um, to make friends and to really get involved in the city.
0: That's so cool. That's such a great idea for a newcomer because I talk a lot with people on this podcast who have moved to different countries or different cities and how do they meet people? So that's a great idea. So for Mardi Gras, it's the Mm -hmm. parade and then the crews have their own private balls and Mm -hmm.
1: then are there other things going on? Absolutely. There's a lot. Uh, So I think people, when they come to Mardi Gras, um, they associate it really just with either going to parades or like being drunk on Bourbon Street. Both of these are valid things to do. They're not the only things to do. Um, Mardi Gras is a citywide holiday. uh, So a lot of people get off from work for Mardi Gras. Um, Kids are not in school uh, during that time. So unless you're like service industry or, you know, work in the ER or something, you're probably going to be off uh, on, on Mardi Gras day. And so people will really celebrate throughout the city, whether it's having parties in their home, whether it's, uh, going out to the parade route with their kids. A lot of Mardi Gras is really family friendly or at least, um, uh, family friendly by new Orleans standards. You know, a big part of it for me is just making a new costume every single year and going out and kind of being a character uh, for the day. Um, But different neighborhoods have different ways of celebrating. And a lot of the historically black neighborhoods uh, in New Orleans, they have uh, the Mardi Gras Indian tribes, which are – uh, groups that uh, make new costumes, new um, suits every single year, and they're very intricate. It's feathers, it's beads, um, and and they'll go very early in the morning uh, throughout their neighborhoods, interacting uh, with other groups or other tribes. If anybody watched the show Tremé on HBO, they they really show this, and it's really amazing tradition. Um, and then Cajun Mardi Gras is completely different. It's a whole other thing that I actually have not experienced yet. But they also have their own traditions um, in. Cajun oh. areas as well. So,
0: so much work goes into all of this. Are there, yeah. is there a museum in the city that um, is hanging on
1: to any of these costumes? and? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, um, there's a few different places you could go. So in Jackson square, The the first sort of easiest place to go at the Presbyterian Museum next to St. Louis Cathedral. The first floor is a Hurricane Katrina sort of retrospective that's actually really solid. But The second floor is a Mardi Gras Museum. So you can see a lot of the costumes, again, from different parts of the city, different groups. Um, You learn a lot of the history that way. Um, There are two places off the top of my head I can think of to learn more about the Mardi Gras Indians. So there's the Backstreet Cultural Museum and the House of Dance and Feathers. And then if you want to see the floats, where the floats are created, um, Blaine Kern's Mardi Gras World, uh, which is just past the Central Business District, is a massive warehouse where they build sort of the most iconic floats of Mardi Gras. And they do tours, I think, every day. So even if it's not Mardi Gras, you can go and see how those floats are built and all the work that goes into them.
0: Very cool. Yeah. So New Orleans is celebrating its 300th anniversary. Yeah. Lots of history. So when you begin your tours... Um, how do you ground your, your visitors in the history
1: of the city? I'll mention that we were founded in 1718 by a fellow with a, a very long, very French name, Jean-Baptiste Lemoyne, and uh, he would come in uh, to this, again, portage between the Mississippi and the uh, uh, like Pontchartrain. Uh, this would have been land occupied by the Chittimacha, the Choctaw, the Chickasaw. So Native American um, tribes. Yes, yes. From my research, they didn't necessarily uh, live uh, directly, like build homes on this area because they knew better. <laughs> this, is a, this is a very, uh, you know, flood prone area. Uh, but it would have been the portage, uh, again, if you're taking a boat from the Mississippi to like um And it was, it was like hunting and fishing uh, ground. And he will uh, attempt to build a city. It does not go well. Uh, Our water table is about four and a half feet down. Bedrock is 70 feet down. Uh, So they're on some shaky ground. Um, They're constantly assaulted by mosquitoes. Uh, They are coming down with swamp fevers, like yellow fever. Uh, It's terrible. France desperately wants to have a colony right here because this is going to be strategic for them. Uh, They think that if they can get a city to stick near the mouth of the Mississippi. They'll control river trade for the entire continent. Uh, They'll also be able to have a good control in the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean. Uh, They attempt to essentially trick Europeans to come here. France will hire a person I consider to be a giant con man, a Scottish businessman called John Law as a hype man for New Orleans. And he tells people, oh yes, Louisiana is the Garden of Eden. It's heaven on earth. The temperature is cool and temperate year round. I'm sure anyone who's visited New Orleans has enjoyed that cool, temperate, year-round climate. You know, it says it's easy to farm and you'll never go hungry. Uh, People come here and realize none of this is true. And any of them with cash left over will again go back to Europe. And eventually France does... kind of the same thing that uh, Britain did with Australia. They'll empty the prisons of Paris in order to populate the city. Uh, so they will send over their thieves, their debtors. Uh, they'll send over sex workers. They will send over uh, anyone you know who's a soldier who'd been thrown into the brig. And I joke, these are the founding fathers and mothers <laughs> of New Orleans.
0: And do you feel like it's retained? It's sort of feeling of Wild West or a little bit lawless?
1: So New Orleans coming from a history of being a major port city, a place where a a good bit of the income was generated by sailors coming back to port who would want to eat and drink and be merry. uh, That was, that was good business for them. And some of that feeling has continued ever since. I like to say that New Orleanians are just very, very good at partying. Uh, Mm -hmm. we know how to do it. Uh, something that, uh, I tend to warn people when they first move here is no one's going to stop you from partying. Um, nobody knows your life. Nobody, mean people will care about you, but they also are not going to presume like, Oh, you need to calm down because they don't know if you just got off work or, or what your situation is. And bars do not close, uh, or whether some bars close, but there's no last call in new Orleans. And so it's easy to really get wild if you don't have a handle on, um, what you want that to look like. So you really do have to have a good bit of self-discipline in New Orleans because the city is not going to do that for you.
0: Yeah. One of, um, as I was doing research for this episode, one of the top questions related to New Orleans was, is New Orleans a dangerous city or is it a safe city? How would you answer that?
1: I mean, it has its problems. You know, there, there are uh, robberies, there are murders. Um, I think, the way that you would conduct yourself in any city applies here in that, you know, you you want to look at your surroundings. You want to make sure that if you're walking down the street that you're not isolated, that it's well lit. Um, you don't want to uh, get really drunk and wander around by yourself. Uh, crime is a challenge that we face, but I think it's also something that, you know, we can We can decrease just by making people's lives better generally. Um, And that's certainly my hope with the city.
0: Let's say I've never been to New Orleans and I'm coming to visit you for a long weekend. What are our must-sees? Goodness.
1: Okay. So one of the thing I always say first, especially for New Orleans, and again, because this is exactly the kind of thing I like, uh, you should go see the cemeteries. Um, New Orleans is famous for our above-ground tombs. Um, and the cemeteries are one of the things that, that people will often visit and they really are beautiful. Uh, I think it's fascinating. We do a couple of cemetery tours, uh, at the company I work for. I I work for a tour company called French Quarter Phantoms and, uh, we do a cemetery tour twice a day, every day in the mornings. Uh, and then the cemeteries are also, or one cemetery is also featured on our garden district tour, but I, I really love them. I think they're beautiful. I think the history is amazing. And I love that this part of our history is, is being preserved uh, for people to see as well.
0: What's the scene like? What does it look like? And can you talk about some of the traditions, the burial traditions? Sure.
1: So if you go to St. Louis Number 1, and it is our oldest active cemetery. So it's the oldest cemetery in town that we still use today. Not that often, maybe five or six burials a year, but it's active. Uh, It's about a block by a block in size, really not that big. It's just outside the French Quarter. Um, It's surrounded by thick walls that actually have Vaults in them uh, for burial. And then inside the cemetery, you're going to see tombs. If you can think of a tomb or a crypt, it's usually going to have two or three vaults, one right on top of the other. There's some really massive tombs in the center that have um, statues and, and other decorations on them called the Society Tombs. And one of the first things you'll notice, again, about the cemetery, it's not that big. Um, you'd imagine a cemetery that dates back to 1789 to be massive. That's not the case. The fact is, you know, before we had a modern pump and drain system, we were trying to take the city from the swamp manually. So dry land was at a premium and we wanted to use that for the living. So you wouldn't see big sprawling cemeteries until after about 1900 once we got a modern pump and drain system. Um, so if you fly into new Orleans, you'll see massive cemeteries on either side of the highway, but St. Louis number one is tiny, but it's very full. Uh, we estimate there's about 700 tombs and a hundred thousand people buried in that cemetery. So
0: are they just buried on top of each other?
1: Uh, there's a very rapid process of decomposition that happens in the tombs. So historically the bodies would not have been embalmed. Um, as far as human history goes, embalming in America, um, it's kind of a new thing. Um, so the, the bodies would have gone into the tombs for a year and a day. And the heat and pressure, uh, mainly the heat, uh, if a body is in that tomb, it's almost like it's in a slow cooker. Uh, they can get up to 300 degrees Fahrenheit on the inside in the heat of summer. And if you visit us in the summer and go in the cemetery, you will feel like you also are 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, but the, the bodies are essentially reduced to dust and ash very quickly. And that makes them reusable.
0: So they turn to Ash, and then they just put somebody else in the tomb.
1: Mm-hmm. A mm-hmm.
0: family member, I assume.
1: Yes, yes. Family members, close friends, uh, family members by marriage. And there's, uh, there's what's called a cavo, or a little cave beneath the tomb itself. And that's where the, the dust is placed uh, when the next person is going in.
0: Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you tell us a scary story, or a story from,
1: that you tell your mm-hmm. visitors? Let me think. Me think of which one I want to tell because I have some long ones and I have some short ones. Let's talk about let's talk about Muriel's. So I'll give you sort of the basics uh, of of this particular story. Okay. Uh, so there's a there's a restaurant uh, on Jackson Square called Muriel's. Actually, a great place to eat. I like it a lot. They're good New Orleans food. I love their turtle soup. Um, and uh, it was not always Muriel's. It was at one point a home um, by a fellow named uh, Pierre Antoine Jourdain. He uh, he would build this house and. Um according to all the stories, he loves to throw parties. He loves to entertain, but he also has a vice. He loves to gamble. And New Orleans is a very easy place to find a gambling game. Uh, and he starts to lose all of his money. Uh, between the partying, between the gambling, he's just running out. And one night in the game of his life, pretty much all he has left is his house, maybe a few scant possessions. He's going to throw caution to the winds. He thinks he has a good hand. He is going to bet his house. Um, this is a ghost story. This does not have a happy ending. Of course, he loses. Uh, he's going to lose the house. And so he goes up to the second floor in the house that he built. He will drink a glass of red wine, as he always did in the evenings, and he will hang himself on the property. And it is said that the ghost of Monsieur Jordan uh, still haunts that location. Um, if you go to Muriel's, they, they will talk to you about it. Uh, and for a good chunk of history, he was a pretty pleasant ghost, seemed to be uh friendly kind of look out for you when the building became a restaurant he actually got angry um he seemed agitated and aggravated and he would actually begin to mess with the restaurant whether it was throwing freshly cleaned silverware on the floor whether it's um, rearranging the bottles behind the bar and then finally i had heard that he actually made them lose all of their like credit card (laughs) receipts or just something to do with their computer system where it was like enough is enough Something is going on. There's some kind of literal ghost in this machine. And so they do what any, you know, rational, logical business owner would do. Um, They hold a seance. And they hold a seance to contact Jordan and what they found surprises them. They find that Jordan did not have this, you know, unsolvable issue with them He was confused about what the building was being used for. He didn't perceive it as a restaurant. He thinks people are throwing parties just like he did, that they're having a great time, they're laughing, they're eating, they're drinking, and no one is acknowledging him as the owner of the house. And so they think, well, that's an easy fix. So every single day, and you'll see this if you go, they sat at a table that is just for the ghost, and they pour him a glass of wine. They usually have their, like, good-herbed bread on a plate. They do this every day. They take it away at night, and uh, they will sometimes leave extra chairs in case the ghost wants to bring a buddy. Uh, and so far they say it's worked. They say Jordan has ceased his mischief, and he's a happy ghost again. Oh, they
0: made peace with him. Well, that's they made peace a him happy
1: story. But they got to still, you know... They got to still keep feeding them wine because, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and they actually, they have a – the second floor is this seance room that's actually really, really lovely as well. It looks like a seance from 100 years ago. It's really neat. What is voodoo exactly? Sure. Voodoo is a religion. Uh, voodoo is a religion like any other. It's gotten a bad rap from movies, from comic books, from TV shows, whether it's, you know, the Skeleton Key or the Princess and the Frog or, you know, James Bond. Um but voodoo is a syncretic religion. You could compare it to Santeria or Condomble. Um, it is, uh, starts, to, starts to really develop in New Orleans, again, starting with the 1700s and then even more so in the 1800s um, after the Haitian Revolution when the enslaved people were brought over from the West coast of Africa, they're going to bring their culture and their religion and their language with them. And they want to continue to practice their beliefs, but by law, everyone in new Orleans enslaved or free was supposed to be Catholic. Uh, and so Vaudun or Vodou, um, it's a syncretic religion. And so syncretic religions do not, go out and convert others, and they don't get converted. Uh, Instead, they are going to sync up. And so the practitioners of Vaudel will find commonalities and also ways to essentially hide their beliefs under Catholicism. And eventually they'll start to merge. So if we talk about someone like Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, um, she was a free woman of color. She was born in the late 1700s, dies in the late 1800s. Um, she would have gone to mass on Sunday. Um, she would have been a practicing Catholic. She was also a voodoo priestess, uh, so she would have recognized God, Jesus, the Catholic saints, and the Loa, L-O-A, or the voodoo spirits. And in Louisiana voodoo, you can often correlate specific um, African spirits with specific saints. Um, for example, in voodoo, one of the most important spirits is Papa Legba or Papa Leba. And he is essentially the guardian of the gates between the realm of humanity and the spirit world. And if you want to interact with any of the other spirits, you must call on Papa Legba to open that gate. Uh, his Catholic corollary would be St. Peter because St. Peter guards and opens the gates into paradise. Uh, So it's not, you know, evil. Uh, It's not this inherently negative thing, even though that sells books and movies and TV shows. You know, voodoo, like any religion, you could use for good or for harm. And I think because some of the images in voodoo look scary to the sort of American or European perspective, and because of comic books voodoo is, I guess, fun to think about. It makes this sort of exoticized villain if you don't think too hard about it, but it's a real religion that people practice. Um, I, I have heard that about 1% of New Orleanians practice voodoo as their main solid religion. That's a good 4,000 people. Uh, so it is still alive in New Orleans and around the world too.
0: Yes. I think a lot of us are aware of like voodoo dolls where Mm -hmm. we have a doll of our enemy and we stick a pin like the knee and then our enemy will have like knee pain. But when you say, um, people practice voodoo, what -hmm. do you mean by practice? What is like, I guess, what is something about voodoo that you wish other people would understand that it's not just voodoo dolls? So voodoo
1: dolls, again, are there. I think that, that gets used, um, not again necessarily for harm. And I think most people who seriously practice voodoo are not using them for harm. They can also be used to heal. Um, we think historically voodoo dolls uh, were used as a, a medicinal tool. Uh, if herbal remedies and medicines didn't work, that the voodoo doctor, the voodoo practitioner could make a doll of the person with the ailment, pin the area where they were sick, pray to the spirits, offer to the spirits, and that person would get better. As we think a lot of those those early voodoo dolls were actually healing tools. But again, that doesn't sell as well as torture devices, I suppose. <laughs> um, and like I said, I think people just need to realize it's a religion like any other and it's, it's not inherently evil or bad or scary.
0: Very nice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what are some other, some other must-sees?
1: Hmm. Let's see. So, one of my favorite museums in New Orleans is the Pharmacy Museum on Charter Street. Uh, again, we'll keep we'll we'll keep in the slightly creepy tone. Uh, the Pharmacy Museum uh, is the site of the first licensed pharmacy in Louisiana, and it is lovely and fascinating. They do tours. You can also just go in on your own and you know examine all the different cases, see the medical devices, uh, medicines, uh, weird pills, and syringes from you know the eighteen hundreds on up. Uh, it's really fascinating, but it's also really lovely. It's got that apothecary aesthetic that everyone loves, but comes by it honestly because it's a literal pharmacy. Um, so it's, it's really lovely. People get married in there, um, but it's also a really sort of terrifying look at what medicine used to be that makes you grateful for what we have now.
0: I think New Orleans has the first, had the first apartment building in the U.S. as well.
1: So an early luxury apartment building uh, or set of apartment buildings would have been the Pontalba uh, buildings on either side of Jackson square. Um, and they were conceived of planned and created by a woman, uh, the Baroness Michaela Pontalba, who was a, uh, she was an heiress from new Orleans, uh, married into nobility in France. Um, her story is amazing. Uh, she essentially, uh, was married to, uh, her cousin, Celestin de Pontalba, the baronet de Pontalba, in order to um, bring a title into her family um, and to bring money into his family, because they were sort of the classic broke nobles in France. Um, But it was not a good situation. It was not a good marriage. Uh, Her husband, people go back and forth. I guess he was okay. Bit of a wet blanket. Her father-in-law was straight up evil uh, and abusive and would essentially do everything he could to get the rest of her fortune, including um, keeping her from seeing her family members, uh, isolating her in the home, not letting her go anywhere. He eventually attempted to shoot her point blank with dueling pistols. Um, He did shoot her point blank. Um, She lost two of her fingers and had bullets lodged in her torso, but she lived. She actually would rehabilitate for a few months. Um, The father-in-law Kills himself after he thinks he's killed her, uh, and she's finally able to get a divorce. <laughs> and uh, she she will live till her eighties. I believe she lived until she was in her eighties. Finally gets that divorce, comes back to New Orleans. She's the talk of the town, not because she survived a near death experience, but because she got divorced. That was a huge deal back yeah. then. Uh, but she becomes a city developer and really is going to be a style maker and a tastemaker for the rest of the French quarter. She's going to be one of the influences that popularizes the wrought iron and the cast iron that we associate with the French quarter. She really makes uh, that the style. Um, And she's going to build these giant brick apartment buildings on either side of what's now Jackson Square, which we can still see today. There's a, a museum called the 1850s house that you can go in and see how those apartments would have been laid out. So yeah, really fascinating.
0: Yeah, the architecture in New Orleans is, itself is, um, I think it has landmark status, right? So you can't really change right. the outside. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's quite colorful. Could you describe a yes. little bit um, what the French Quarter looks like?
1: Sure. Uh, so it is, it's is—it's uh, a neighborhood that is almost like a national park. It's under uh, ordinances from the Carré Commission, the French Quarter Commission, that you cannot... Change the exteriors of the buildings. You can maintain them. You can, you know, keep them in good shape. But even that is going to take months of bureaucracy because they really do want to preserve uh, the historic nature of the French Quarter as much as possible. You're going to see a lot of brick buildings, a lot of stucco buildings. You'll see lots of wrought iron and cast iron. Nothing too tall. Um, there's some tall hotels on the far end of the French Quarter, close to Canal Street, but they're really not allowed after the first few blocks. Um, you'll see a lot of local businesses. There's a handful of chains, but really not many. And most of the chains are going to be on the outskirts of the quarter. Uh, so it really is a true neighborhood and it's very easy to feel like you are back in the 17 or 1800s. In fact, when they shoot movies in new Orleans, like interview with a vampire or, um, was the one they did when I was here, Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter. Um, really all they have to do is, move the cars, move the street signs, you know, take away any signs of modernity and lay down some dirt. And it's immediately a completely accurate, um, historic set, uh, which is really amazing to run up on when you're not expecting it. Cause they do film, um, not as much as they used to, but with a fair frequency in the quarter movies and TV shows. And if you run into, Oh, now I'm in the past. It's wonderful. What are some hidden gems that you would take me to? I have a lot of friends that are bartenders, so there's uh, several different uh, bars and restaurants that I really enjoy. There's uh, one called Cane and Table I really like on Decatur Street. Um, Really delicious cocktails. It's sort of got a colonial Caribbean um, vibe in terms of the menu. Um, The food is also really solid, and it's just lovely. They just opened another bar called Manolito, which is very rum-focused. It's at the foot of Dumaine. Um, and so that's definitely a nice one to check out. Do mainstream in general. I really enjoy. I do a lot of tour stops there uh, because there's also some great resources for voodoo. If you are interested, you want to talk to folks who actually practice voodoo. Um, there's a few different shops that have opened up that are less touristy um, than some of the, you know, mass produced, uh, you know, sort of tourist shops. So there's a a shop slash cultural center called Voodoo Authentica right there. There's the historic Voodoo Museum, a block from that. And then actually close to Manalito, a new uh, voodoo shop has opened up called Conjure. Um, And then I have always seen it as more of a, a European witchcraft and sort of a general pagan shop, but there's another shop called Esoterica in that area too. So uh, people I've heard it called it uh, a cult alley, uh, but that's that's a lot of fun and really interesting to see.
0: How do you spend a, a leisurely
1: afternoon if you've got the day off? Ooh, I love all of New Orleans neighborhoods. I love to explore and see parts of the city that I don't normally go to. Um, I live downtown and I work primarily in the French Quarter as a tour guide. That's where most of my tours happen, uh, in the French Quarter and the cemetery. And so I like to visit other neighborhoods. I like to go to the parks. City Park is beautiful. Audubon Park is beautiful. The streetcar is an awful lot of fun to ride. And even going to, so the West Bank of New Orleans and the spot that most tourists would go to is Algiers Point on the other side of the river is really fun to just Go to and it's still New Orleans. It feels like New Orleans, but it's away from a lot of that hustle and bustle. It's just sweet, beautiful neighborhood that has some really nice little pubs in it. You can take a ferry uh, from the east bank, which is the side that the French Quarter's on, over to the west bank, and that in and of itself is like a cool way to spend a couple hours. The ferry ride is cheap; it's like a dollar or two, Um, and it gives you a really good view of the city if you want to see New Orleans sort of laid out before you. Um, You'll be able to see the curve of that river. You'll be able to see the whole city. You'll be able to see what we're up against in terms of nature because the current there is strong. If you see a boat try to make that turn, um, it's like they're doing the drift, right? Trying to get around it. Uh, And then you go to the West Bank and it's just this lovely neighborhood that you can stroll around in as well.
0: So what is in the West Bank that we should check out?
1: I really enjoy, there's a, a pub that's very nerdy. I'm a big nerd called the crown and anchor. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then otherwise, you know, there's been a couple of new shops and restaurants that have opened up over there, but it's just a lovely little neighborhood to, to check out, see a little bit more of, uh, that, that calmer side of new Orleans. Um, I really like. Uptown in the Garden District too. It is not the neighborhood I live in, but it's lovely. It's where you're going to see the jerky oak trees. You're going to see uh, beads hanging from the trees that uh, have uh, been caught there from the Mardi Gras parades the year before. It's funny, you don't see as much Spanish moss within the city. Um, you see it in the parks, but that that lovely moss that hangs from the trees. So it's been replaced sort of just by chance, but now it's part of the, the look of the city is the beads hanging from the trees that have just naturally been caught there uh, from last year's parade. So it's like a more glittery version of Spanish moss, I guess. Very glam. <laughs> very glam. Very
0: glam. Where do you go when you're in the mood for some culture?
1: Gosh, there's a lot of options. Like I said, I, I enjoy the museums. I love taking other people's tours too, whether they're other uh, people from my company or just other tours that we don't do anything uh like, you know, tours that go to neighborhoods we don't go to or tours on bikes. The New Orleans Art Museum is great uh, at City Park. They have updated exhibits pretty much constantly, and that's a really lovely resource. The World War II Museum is world class, it's stellar. Uh, and then, just in terms of going out and about, you can throw a rock though. You shouldn't. And, you know, find a music club or someone doing stand up comedy or someone, um, doing some kind of performance. And I think that's really special as well. You don't have to go too far and it sometimes will give you the, the paralysis of there's too many options. Like, I don't know what to do because there's something happening almost every single night. Burlesque is big down here. There's a lot of solid burlesque shows pretty much every week. You you can find burlesque. Um, where should we go specifically for that? Gosh, I love uh, – there's a few different performers that um, I'm friends with and have worked with. Um, so Bella Blue produces uh, a few different shows around town. Um, if you just check out her website, uh, I think it's the Bella Lounge, um, you can find out where she's performing. And then Trixie Minx, I love uh, – she's a hoot. She's really funny as well. And she produces a show called The Flirt of Tees" at One-Eyed Jacks, which I love as a venue. It's a venue in the, the French Quarter – um, she does a uh, big burlesque show there once a month. So you can definitely check out the Flirt of Tease as well. How do you spell that? F-L-E-U-R-D-E-T-E-A-S-E.
0: Okay. Yep. Wh- where can we look online to see what's going on in town?
1: There's a few sort of consolidated tourism uh, websites. Um, I think Visit New Orleans is one of them. Um, the Gambit online has uh, pretty good events list that you could check out. If you listen to our live local music station, WWOZ, they have what's called the Live Wire that they'll play. And you can listen to OZ just from your computer as well, but they'll uh, tell you what bands are playing, what music is happening every night. So that's another good resource.
0: If we want to listen to some jazz, Mm -hmm. could you tell us um, one or two places where we should definitely check out?
1: Sure. I love Preservation Hall. Um, If you want some real New Orleans jazz in a really amazing environment uh, from a really cool historic context. Preservation Hall is hard to beat. It's not a bar, it's not a restaurant. You go in and you listen to these established, older, hardcore, awesome men playing jazz. Um, They are incredibly talented, they've toured the world and Preservation Hall, as the name implies, is dedicated to the preservation of jazz music. Part of the experience is waiting in the line, right? Seeing everybody going by because it's pretty close to Bourbon Street. Uh, but you go in and it's this just gorgeous, historic interior. And you listen to these people um, who are so talented play. Uh, and it's amazing. Should you buy tickets in advance? Can you? you can. You okay. absolutely can. Yeah, okay. it, it's up to you. Um You may want to if it's a really busy weekend or a busy night, but like I said, the line's also kind of part of it. Okay. Otherwise, a lot of people know this. uh, Frenchman Street, which is just outside the French Quarter, has a lot of live music. There'll be some jazz, there'll be some brass bands. Usually, one or, uh, it's usually at least one on the corner on the weekends of folks that are literally playing that street corner to, to the crowd that comes by playing for tips. And then you'll have bands playing inside a lot of the bars and the restaurants. Um, and there's usually no cover. You just have to you know, buy a drink or buy some food per set from the restaurant. But it's always good courtesy to tip the band. Um, and it's not just jazz. There's, you know, there's funk, there's blues, there's all kinds of music. But Frenchman Street, a lot of people enjoy as well. Okay,
0: great. Let's talk about food.
1: So what cultures have influenced food in new orleans sure uh, african french and spanish are the the first three that i would think of um, those are the big historic cultural influences and you see that with creole food um, in new orleans when i say creole from the 17 and 1800s creole uh, meant of the colonies uh so a colonist or the descendant of a colonist um and creole people again oftentimes had French, Spanish, or African ancestry, or two of the three, or all three. Um, And so that food culture is where you're going to see a lot of that classic New Orleans cuisine. Um, Later on, you're going to see other influences as well. One of the more modern influences that I can name is Vietnamese food. So we have a really large population of Vietnamese folks in the city, and so our Vietnamese food is stellar. It's really good. So these influences are still coming in, but... When you think of, you know, your jambalaya and your gumbo, um, that's going to be primarily African French Spanish. What is Cajun? Cajun is, uh, so Cajuns are a different population. Um, some people think that Cajuns and Creoles are interchangeable and they're not. The easiest way, just surface level to think about it is that Creoles, we associate with the city of New Orleans and Cajuns, we associate with the more rural parts of Southeast Louisiana, not, not in the city of New Orleans. Okay. Um, Obviously, they would talk, they would trade, they would know each other. They're not the same folks. Cajuns trace their ancestry back to French Canadians. Uh, So in the mid-1700s, uh, when Canada goes from bringing a French holding to an English holding, these French Catholic loyalists are not so welcome. And so a lot of them will migrate down into southeast Louisiana and they are the ancestors of the Cajuns. So there is some crossover with some of the cuisine, both cuisines like spicy food. Uh, you know, both of them will use seafood and local ingredients, but they're not they're not the same people.
0: OK, great. What are, so what are the foods in New Orleans that we should try?
1: I love gumbo. Um, You can get seafood gumbo or you can get a chicken and sausage gumbo. They make vegetarian gumbo now as well. I'm a soup person and a stew person, so definitely have some gumbo. Jambalaya, that that spicy rice dish, really excellent. If you just want an easy lunch, you can get a po'boy or a poor boy. Um, That is a sandwich that is filled with one of many kinds of ingredients um, and usually dressed with lettuce and tomato tomato. Uh, I usually dressed with lettuce and tomato. Let's see, barbecued shrimp, if you like seafood, is really good. It's not barbecue flavor. It's actually got this really delicious sort of buttery sauce with it. Are grits a this. thing? Um, Grits are a southern thing, generally. Um, you can definitely get good grits here, but that's not just a New Orleans okay. dish. That's not all over the South. Would you say New Orleans is a vegetarian-friendly city? <laughs> um. I've known vegetarians that live here. It's a challenge. I've definitely had tour guests come and ask me where they can find a vegetable to eat <laughs> because yeah, we'll give you vegetables, but they might be fried, or they might be in a stew, or they might be you know covered in butter. You can be vegetarian here, like I said, it, it is um a bit more challenging, but it's certainly doable, and we do have vegetarians here for sure. But probably more challenging than you know maybe the west coast or the east coast.
0: Is there a restaurant you would recommend for? classic uh new orleans food
1: all over the french quarter there's a ton of really delicious options whether you go with something that's more casual whether you go with something that's nicer i mentioned muriel's earlier i i genuinely do like them for a a slightly more high-end though not the most expensive new Mm -hmm. orleans food there's other dives you can go uh where you can have some delicious new orleans fare um Jack Dempsey's has good seafood. Coop's Place on Decatur is this uh, great dive that just has all different kinds of New Orleans food. We don't allow too many bad New Orleans restaurants to stick around.
0: Okay, it's hard to have the bad meal. Yeah. Uh, Are there any food markets we should check out? So
1: there's the French market just out, where it's in the French Quarter. So um, just close to the riverfront uh, is the French market. Um, You can get some pretty decent New Orleans food there, although it's going to be more sort of stall based. And then a lot of the French market is also, um, souvenirs and the like, uh, they have my favorite daiquiris in the French market, which, uh, is the organic banana. And they use local New Orleans, rum, fresh fruit, ice cream. I have no shame about the fact that I love frozen daiquiris. I just <laughs> can't help it. And there's are. Like solid gourmet, but they're not—they're not really any more expensive than the ones that you would get from the you know giant machines on Bourbon Street, and they taste so much better. Uh, there was a place that went up in my neighborhood a few years ago called the Saint Rock Market that's gotten a lot of press. It's solid. They have local vendors that will come in and rent stalls from them. St. Rock Market historically was a fish market up until not too long ago and then it was abandoned for a while and and not used. So it was renovated a few years ago and you'll find a lot of really good food in there as well. And there's other markets that are uh, coming in throughout the city. Uh, Another market that's also opened up, that's called the Dryads Public Market and it is on Aretha Castle Haley. That's going to have a lot of uh, good food as well and That's a good option too. again, kind of like the St. Rock Market, if you want to get out of the French Quarter and see some other neighborhoods, that's going to be a solid choice as well.
0: And is this a place where maybe local designers or artists would be selling stuff as well?
1: Um, Not necessarily. These are more food markets. Okay. So there used to be a really cool art and craft market on Frenchman Street. It's no longer located there. It's now called the uh, Art Garage, and it's in this giant garage warehouse space on St. Claude Avenue. That's another great one to check out if you want to see some local artists.
0: So what are some of your favorite shops and you can include yours if you want?
1: Sure. I will include mine. So in addition to being a tour guide, I also co-own a boutique on St. Claude Avenue called Dynamo, which is a health and education focused adult store. Uh, So we're women owned. We do a lot of workshops and classes for the community, but we are essentially a romantic boutique with a really lovely, comfortable uh, interior. It's a place for people to come in, uh, ask questions about sex and maybe take a a few things home. Um,
0: What inspired you to open that shop?
1: Being from Kentucky, I had very little in the way of sex ed uh, or sexual health information. It wasn't a thing people talked about a lot, and I really liked talking about it. I wanted to ask people questions. I wanted to know more about the health and cultural aspects around sex and relationships. And When I moved here, we didn't have a sex-positive shop like that in new orleans um places like new york or or, um you know san francisco have babeland and good vibrations we didn't have anything like that here so i figured i'll just open my own and it's taken a long time for us to get a brick and mortar but we actually did just open this past november dynamo come see us if you're over 18 (laughs) awesome what other shops do you like to go to if we want to support
0: um a local business Well, I guess you said they're all local business, but I guess I mean There's a lot
1: of local businesses. I'll tell you one of my favorites in the French Quarter, and it's also where I get my hair done. Uh, Classic New Orleans fun. Fifi Mahoney's on Royal Street is a wig, makeup, and costume accessory shop with a salon in the back, and they're a ton of fun. The wigs are fabulous. They're actually really affordable. If you want especially if you're here in Halloween or Mardi Gras, like at least wear a wig, please participate. Uh, Fifi's is fantastic. And again, they have, you know, the wildest makeup, uh, the, the most fun looks and it's a salon as well. It's where I get my hair (laughs) cut. Um,
0: I just want to talk about drinking culture really quick, uh, just because it's so unique compared to the rest of the States, I think. So in New Orleans, can
1: you drink wherever you want? You can take drinks in the street, yes. So it's not just the French Quarter. It's the whole city. You can walk around with a drink. It just cannot be in a glass container. And I have i am not a lawyer. I have heard tell that it's also not supposed to be in a metal container, but I have seen people with cans. So I am not a lawyer. Do not come at me if you get you know, messed with for a can. You definitely can't drink in a glass. So they, we have what's called Go Cups. And you can get them at the end of any bar in the city, plastic cup. When you want to move on with your drink, pour it in the cup and you can go wherever you like.
0: And what are some local drinks that
1: we should try? There's a lot of really fabulous cocktails from New Orleans. If you want to go with something that's going to be a little less sugary sweet, the Sazerac, Uh, it contains rye whiskey. If you're a fan of rye, um, definitely a good drink for you. And then it's also going to have absinthe in it or back when absinthe was um, prohibited, it would have herb saint in it. So it's going to have that rye flavor as well as the sort of licorice flavor of absinthe and a few other ingredients as well. I have hazy memories of grenades. Oh, and grenades. Yeah, that, <laughs> that recipe is actually uh, under lock and key. Uh, Tropical Isle will not, will not uh, divulge the recipe there, but the hand grenade is, I think, the classic Bourbon Street drink that people like to make fun of because it comes in the, the big hand grenade cup. But you know, Tropical Isle, they know their business. They do a great job. They their business is selling people drinks and getting them wild on Bourbon Street, and they are successful. So yeah, the hand grenades, I think, are the classic drink that people associate with Bourbon Street debauchery um, and kind of all that, that entails. The other Bourbon Street drink that I would think of off the top of my head is Pat O'Brien's, which does have a face out toward Bourbon Street and then one on St. Peter as well. And the hurricane is the one that you see in that big hurricane glass. It's red. Um, It contains, I believe, four shots of rum, passion fruit syrup, fruit juice, lots of sugar. I live here. I can only drink one hurricane from Pat O'Brien's and then (laughs) I have to take a nap. I do not have the strongest tolerance, but people love those as well. And again, those are very sugary, sweet, bourbon street drinks. But if that's your jam, like go for it. Have fun. I appreciate your time
0: so much. Before I let you go, I would love to do a lightning round of your New Orleans favorites. Is that cool? Yeah. Before I get to the lightning round of Hope's favorite places in New Orleans, this episode is also brought to you by World Nomads. Need simple and flexible travel insurance? Want to figure out how much it's going to cost with no commitment and without having to talk to anyone? Go to postcardacademy.co slash insurance and use the handy calculator. This will help you get a cost estimate from World Nomads, and you can do it all online, no pressure.
1: Okay, what's your favorite brunch spot? I love, there's a spot in the Marini called the Cake Cafe. That's probably my favorite bakery, cafe, and brunch spot. Really solid, really lovely, nice people. What do you like to order there? When it's not carnival season... I really enjoy their bagel and lox, um, but they also have really delicious king cakes. During carnival season, um, they make this. Well, they make a few different really good king cakes, but I believe there's one that's brie and apples, and it's just delicious. What's a king cake? So, king cake is the traditional dessert of Mardi Gras, and they've kind of gone all different directions now. You'll see king cakes with you know wild toppings, but traditionally, it was just a sort of simple, uh, bread roll cake with maybe, uh, sprinkle, not, uh, not sprinkles, but, um, sugar on top. You'll see some with icing. Now you'll see some that are filled with things like cream cheese or blueberries. You'll see savory King cakes, but it's that round pastry cake, uh, that people eat during carnival season. Um, It contains a baby, a little plastic baby uh, that represents baby Jesus. And if you receive the slice that has the baby in it, you win, but you lose because you have to buy the next king cake. Oh, (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. a fun tradition. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite coffee shop? There was a spot right next to where I used to live called the Hudat Cafe. Uh, Again, lovely little locals uh, coffee shop, really sweet people running it. Um, I always would get iced coffee there. Iced coffee's big in New Orleans because it's hot so much of the time. So yeah, the Hudak Cafe, named for the the chant that we associate with the New Orleans Saints.
0: What's your favorite place to get a drink?
1: So I talked about Canaan Table and Manalito earlier, but the place that I drink the most out of any of them is the Voodoo Lounge on Rampart Street. That's where the tours start from. That's where French Quarter Phantoms is located. But it's just to me the happiest, you know, weirdest, silliest bar. Um, very local. Uh, it's right on the, the new streetcar line on Rampart. Bunch of nerds, bunch of weirdos. And I love them. The drinks are a good price. The bartenders are, you know, kind and funny and entertaining. And you can catch a really good tour while you're there as well.
0: <laughs> How about museum?
1: The pharmacy museum, for sure. That one is my favorite. I go there at least once a year.
0: Do you have a favorite market, whether that's um, designer or food?
1: Probably the art market. Like I said, the art garage on St. Claude Avenue is really solid. Okay. Jazz club? Preservation hall.
0: Are there any apps or anything that are focused on New Orleans?
1: Actually, I'll tell you what. If you're here during Mardi Gras, there are a couple of parade tracker apps that are really useful, whether you're trying to go to a parade or trying to avoid the parade so you can drive around it. Um, I think all of the major news stations put out a Mardi Gras parade tracker app during that time and you should download that if you're here for carnival season you want to know where those parades are going to be so again you can either attend them or avoid them
0: are there any culture tips we should know before going to new orleans
1: there's a few so i I thought about this a little bit um one of them is new orleanians are friendly and talkative um strangers will talk to you they will say hi to you and it is polite to say hi and talk to them back um it's not a city where you just put your head down and you don't look at anybody and you don't talk to anybody, even if it's just like passing by and saying like, Hey, how's it going? Um, people will not necessarily launch into a long conversation with you, but we're a Southern city. We're a friendly city and we, we like to talk, we like to talk to you. So just understand that people are just being polite and friendly and that's part of the deal. A tip if you don't want to stand out too much as a tourist is that you should not wear beads unless it's during Mardi Gras season or carnival season because otherwise you're immediately going to be pegged for a tourist. Um, Nobody wears beads unless they caught them from a float if they're a local in New Orleans. Keep that in mind. If you want to just like have fun, wear beads. Like I I personally will not judge you. But if you don't want to look like you're from out of town, um, don't wear them. And... The other thing I would say is if you see someone who has a like corsage made of dollar bills pinned to their shirt, you should wish them happy birthday because that's the birthday tradition in New Orleans is uh, on your birthday, you pin a dollar to your shirt and people will give you more money throughout the day and treat you right. If you really want to make their day, you can give them a dollar to put on their pin. Uh, but that's, a, that's a fun way to participate in other people's celebration. And I see somebody who it's their birthday pretty much every day in the French Quarter. So that's a nice tradition as well.
0: That's a lovely tradition. And again, uh, a nice way to meet people uh, as you're new to New Orleans. Um, How much should we tip at a restaurant, bar or taxi? This is more for international
1: listeners. Sure. I mean, solid 20% for sure. Um, That's just polite. Uh, If you want to tip even over that for good service, you know, that's always appreciated. A lot of folks in New Orleans that you'll interact with, if you're coming here to visit our service industry, and a good chunk of their pay is going to depend on tips. So you really want to do, as I said, at least 20%. And we do have Lyft and Uber. Um, I use Lyft for the most part. And then we still have the, the regular cabs as well. Is
0: New Orleans a walkable city? Could we walk everywhere? Or would we need to get is there public
1: transport? There's, there's some. You can walk a lot of places. New Orleans is flat as a pancake, so you're not going to be walking up any hills or anything like that. It is warm, so keep that in mind. Um, drink water, hydrate if you're here during any of the warmer months because you'll feel it. Um, you can definitely, if you don't want to walk miles and miles, you can get, again, cabs and lifts. The streetcars are a lot of fun, but you may wait a while for one to show up. You know, they're not quite so regular as, say, you know, a a subway system or something like that. Is there a particular
0: neighborhood you would recommend we stay in when
1: we're there? If you can stay in the French Quarter, it's honestly the easiest because you're going to be going to the French Quarter so much, especially if it's your first time. That's where a lot of folks come to see those historic buildings, um, coming to see all that culture and that history. There's a ton of hotels within the quarter and around the quarter. Um, So that would be my first choice. If you're just coming to New Orleans for the first time, ahead and stay in the quarter.
0: Is there any place outside of the French Quarter that you would recommend as a must-see?
1: Oh, goodness. I mean, all the neighborhoods surrounding the French Quarter are lovely. They are historic, whether it's going to the Backstreet Cultural Museum or St. Augustine Church in the Treme neighborhood, whether it's strolling around the Frenchman Street area in the Marigny, um, and even... Again, if you go to the Garden District area, Uptown, New Orleans, that's going to look like that picture postcard of the big oak trees and the Grand Southern mansions and the, the Spanish moss that is now made of beads. Even just taking the St. Charles streetcar up and down and seeing all of the Garden District and Uptown is really special and really beautiful.
0: And finally, I saw this on your page on LinkedIn, and I just thought it was Mm -hmm. so lovely. You had written, I believe in the power of laughter to brighten a day, move a mountain, depose a tyrant, and change the world. I just think that's such a lovely sentiment. Oh, thank you. uh, What were you thinking when you put that
1: down? I think that using humor and using joy are ways to connect with others in a world that is often unfair and hard. When we talk about the history of New Orleans, there's a lot of rough times, and there still are, you know, whether it's um, fires in the 1700s, whether it's floods and hurricanes, whether it's epidemic disease. For a lot of these situations, you either laugh or you scream, and if you scream, you might never stop screaming. And so, I think the ability to connect with others, to find joy where we can, and to use that to fight the powers at be is really important. And I think that's how a lot of New Orleanians live. We've lived on the edge of disaster for most of our time. Um, and I think that that really has impacted the way that we live, you know, tomorrow is never necessarily assured. So we've got to love and live and, you know, enjoy life as much as we can while we have it. And I think that's where a lot of the culture is informed.
0: That is so beautiful. Thank, Thank you so much for talking to me today. Hope, where can people find out more about you?
1: So if you want to take a tour with me, uh, I work for French Quarter Phantoms. You can just go to FrenchQuarterPhantoms.com. That's the company. I'm actually, my image is on that website in a lot of places. I am the woman in the short curly black wig screaming, looking sort of like a, a vintage uh, <laughs> pinup on a horror pump, pulp novel. That's me. Um, I'm also in a couple of the videos, so you'll see me. I, I look a little bit like Mary Poppins. She is my style icon. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to take a tour with me, definitely go to French Quarter mm-hmm. Phantoms. If you want to see my shop, you can go to uh, dynamotoys.com or just visit us on St. Claude Avenue. And then my Instagram is at dynamo hope.
0: Thank you so much, Hope. This I really enjoy talking to you. And Thank uh, you. I enjoy talking to you. You make me really want to go back to New Orleans sometime soon.
1: Please do. Come back and see us and look me up. We'll take a tour. Okay. Thanks, Hope. Bye. Thank you for having me. This was great. Bye.
0: I mentioned my fond, hazy memories of drinking grenades in the French Quarter. This was right after college, and a friend of mine and I were road tripping before we got roped in by our professional careers. And so we land in New Orleans, where I'd actually been before on another road trip, but I was really happy to be back. And so I remember my friend and I listening to live music and dancing and just having the best time. And then we drink one grenade, and the next thing I know, we are swimming in our underwear in our hotel's courtyard pool. and. Every single room had a view down onto us. The next day, I went to reception to say I could not find my clothes, but they had not seen them, and it turns out that I had carefully hung them up for the first time in my life. That is the power of the drinks in the Big Easy, so be careful. Oh, and if memory serves, and it probably does not, we stayed at the Holiday Inn in the French Quarter, and the breakfast was amazing. Visit postcardacademy.co for a roundup of everything we talked about, including links and photos. And while you're there, you can sign up for my newsletter if you want for more stories and travel recommendations. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe if you haven't already and tell a friend about it. That is the best way to grow the show. That's all for now. Thanks for listening and have a beautiful week wherever you are.